We are on the ninth lesson of the spring quarter. The title of the lesson is The Woman, the Dragon, and the Beast. What an awesome title. And it is, uh, scriptures covered our Revelation chapter 12 and 13. This, um, there are a lot of things going on in these two chapters. So we're in an interlude where the judgments are on pause here, and we're explaining, or the Lord is explaining, what is going on, what has been going on in the interim, giving more detail here. So all of the lesson today will be an interlude here. The first section is the woman and the dragon. Oh, let's pray. So Lord, we do thank you for your word, which is uh, very interesting. We thank you for the glimpse it gives of the future tribulation period. We pray that you would give us wisdom to understand the symbols within the book and understand what they mean. And uh, we want to glorify you until that time comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first section is the woman and the dragon, and that is chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. So can I get a reader for that part? Okay, thank you. That's quite a chunk. It is. Okay, so verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Now when it says a great sign appeared, you know that this is figurative speech. It is not literal speech. Okay? And so we want to decide, okay, what is this woman? Well, you know, there are all sorts of theories. Mary is one. Um, but this is uh, Israel, or actually my Bible, and I guess Woody's Bible also says Israel. But the reason it's Israel is because it goes back to Joseph's dream. In Genesis 37, verses 9 and 10, remember Joseph had a dream. And he was telling his dream. Joseph had a big mouth when he was 17. And he would tell these dreams and get all his brothers mad at him. But anyway... This dream, he says, now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars are bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? So Jacob, his wife, the twelve brothers, that is Israel. Okay, that was the nation, the, the, the kernel of the nation of Israel. And so this woman is Israel. And it says in verse 2, And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Why? Because God was bringing the Messiah through Israel. He chose Abram to form his own nation, and from Abram he was going to bring forth the Messiah. And she had labor and pain because think of her history. It is full of pain, <laughs> you know, and mainly because of their sin, because they're people like we are too. So if you look at Revelation 12, verses 1 through 5, 
Remember back when the when mankind fell in the garden, a prophecy was given to Satan about the seed of the woman. Okay, I'm going to go back and read that so I don't botch it up too bad. And when Satan heard this, he did not like this. He said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So from that moment onward, Satan was busy trying to block the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the seed of the woman, because the seed of the woman was going to crush his head and put him out of business. And... You know, verses 1 through 5, the, this chapter 12 has, I've heard, described as the angelic conflict. So we can see behind the scenes of history, see the spiritual motivators of what is happening in history. And uh, so in verse 3, then another sign appeared in heaven. Okay, so this is another figure of speech. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads are seven diadems. Well, that figure of speech is interpreted for us in verse 9. It says the great dragon was the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. And actually, that's the first time in the Bible that we're told that the serpent in Eden was actually the devil. So we wait till the end of the book end of all the books of the Bible before we get a definite ID on that Satan indwelt a serpent. The serpent was able to speak. <laughs> so, strange things. And then it said he had seven heads and ten horns. That is a little more difficult to interpret there, you know, again, all of these things have a lot of interpretations. I think the best is for the seven heads are uh, kingdoms. They are Gentile kingdoms motivated by sat Satan that have oppressed the Jews through history. So they are in order. Egypt was the first, then Assyria then Babylon, then Medo-Persia, then Greece, then Rome. And the ten horns are reflective of the final kingdom, which is a revived Rome. And a revived Rome, we'll talk about this more later, but the revived Rome will be a worldwide kingdom dividing the earth into ten regions. And our government is in line with this because, you know, I... I told you several you know, several months ago now that President Biden signed something about the North American Union. The North American Union is a region, one of the ten regions of the globalists. The globalists are moving this way. They're satanically empowered. And uh, they, you know, and I don't know if it's Canada, U.S., and Mexico. I think it's Canada, U.S., and Mexico that they want to unite into a region. Um, <clears throat> so, and 
Then verse 4, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now, and the dragon then stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. So this is where we learn. Remember, stars can be lights in the sky that we see at night. The Bible also equates stars with angels. Remember in Job. And so, this is telling us that in the Luciferian rebellion, early on in creation, Satan convinced one-third of the angels to side with him. So one-third of the angels are demons. Remember, angels do not die. They're created by God, each one, individually. They do not die. So they're the same number there as were created. And two-thirds of them are holy angels because they chose to stay with the Lord. One-third are demonic angels. And they do Satan's bidding. And they have no hope for redemption. Angels cannot be redeemed. Jesus did not come to redeem angels. He did not come as an angel to redeem angels. And so that's why in the Gospels you hear the angels saying, don't torment us before the time, you know, because the lake of fire was created for this group, for Satan and the demons. That is why the, that is why the lake of fire was created, because they are indestructible, they cannot die, and so they need to be punished. They'll be punished eternally in the lake of fire. And that is one reason why one of the things the Spirit of God is doing to the unbelieving world now is convicting. One of the things he's convicting them of is judgment. People. Lake of fire was not built for people. Jesus says that. In, I think it's Matthew 24 or something, Matthew 25. But if you align yourself with Satan and his demons and you never accept the gift that was give, given to, to you, you will go with Satan and his demons to the lake of fire. And the Holy Spirit is convicting people of this. Judgment at death. So verse 5 then, and, you know, Satan several times tried to stop the Messiah from being born. One was in Genesis 6, where some of the demons took on human form and married women who were good-looking and had children that were called the Nephilim. So they're a mix of human and angelic. Well, they couldn't be a Messiah because Messiah had to be human. The next one that I could think of was at the time of Athaliah in the kingdom of Judah. The kings of Je Jehoshaphat specifically got too cozy with Ahab in the north. His son married the daughter of Ahab. The daughter of Ahab was Athaliah. And she was very, she was a Baal worshiper. And um, she killed 
all of the Davidic descendants, except for one that was hidden by, I think it was his sister, and when he was a baby. So the Messianic line was almost snuffed out at that time by Athaliah, who was being guided by Satan. But God preserved him, that kid, and he grew up and became king, and the Davidic line was preserved. And then again in Bethlehem with the two-year-olds, Herod asked, uh, where, where was that star at? <laughs> and he said his soldiers in there and killed all the boys under two, trying to stop the birth of the Messiah, satanic attack. <clears throat> so then verse 5, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, this is Israel, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Well, that's the ascension, right? Child is caught up to God and his throne to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That is directly from Psalm 2. And so we know that that is Jesus. That is Jesus. So Satan, in, his, in these first verses, failed to stop the Messiah. Now, he hasn't stopped trying. The, the, his tactic now is to destroy all of the Jews. Yes, that is his tactic now. And the re you know, we've had Hitler, we had all the pogroms in Russia, you know, all these things. Uh, in Spain, the Jews were, you know, put upon. Uh, the reason being is that the Jews are the only ones who can call the Messiah back. Yeah. You know, every Gentile in the world could be saved. But they can't call it back. You and I can't call Jesus back. The Jews, national Israel, must call it back. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like just like families. Yes. So yeah, I mean Jesus told them specifically on uh, I think it was on Palm Sunday, you will not see me again. You will not see me again. Uh, until you say a specific phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is Psalm 118 verse 26. They must quote Psalm 118, verse 26, to call Jesus back. So, so now, yeah, that is why anti-Semitism is prevalent and it's on the rise. Verse 6, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that here, there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Okay, now we are getting into the tribulation period. See, chapter 12 is kind of an overview of history from an angelic viewpoint. So the woman who we've identified as Israel fled into the wilderness. So when does she do that? That happens in Matthew 24. Jesus talked about it. It's in the tribulation period. And it is right in the midpoint of the tribulation period. That is the point at which the Antichrist will desecrate the temple 
He will put an image of himself in there to worship. He will declare himself to be God. And he will stop temple sacrifices. And so then in uh, Matthew 24, 15, it says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not return back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Okay, so he's talking to Jews here. Jews in Jerusalem, when they see the desecration of the temple, they're to run away. And they're to go to a place called Petra, which is in Isaiah 34 and verse 6. It speaks of this, this prophecy speaks of when Jesus comes back to planet Earth, when the Jews are converted nationally and they call him, he will come back and he will come back to this remnant that is being protected. So Isaiah 34, 6, The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is sated with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. That is where the Jews will be hanging out. It's now modern-day Petra in Jordan. So um, then verse 7 and notice that, well, verse 6, the woman goes to a place prepared by God. There she would be nourished for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years, right? That's the three and a half years from the midpoint to the end of the tribulation period. And I'm assuming that they will be nourished supernaturally. If anybody's seen a picture of Petra, it's a, it's a rock. <laughs> There's nothing growing there. Yeah, and so they'll probably be nourished supernaturally like they were in the wilderness with the manna. That, that is what I am assuming. Um, then verse 7 says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. So right now, Satan and the demons can go into heaven. They don't worship God there. They don't do his bidding, but they communicate with him, and they accuse us before him. Satan does in particular. Accuse us of our sins. That's what Satan does. Yeah, he's a, he's a nasty guy. Well, I mean, many times we do, we do sin. And he points this out to God. And, of course, Jesus is our advocate saying, well, I, I already paid for that. I paid for that. You know, that's the, must get tiresome <laughs> after a while. So he loses access to heaven. And at that point, it says, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I do believe at this point that this is where he indwells 
the Antichrist. The Antichrist is there, but he is not. He is, he is a follower. He is a follower of Satan, but at this point, Satan will possess him, uh, you know, with demonic possession. And um, so that is 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. And the reason I think that is because there are two characters in the scripture that have this certain designation. Okay, so 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Some translations say the son of perdition. So this is calling the Antichrist the son of destruction or the son of perdition. There's one other character in the Bible who's called the son of destruction. Do you know who that is? That's Judas. Judas. That is Judas. Yeah, John 17, verse 12. While I was with, this is Jesus speaking, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Now, we know that Judas was possessed by Satan, because that is in John thirteen twenty-seven. It says, after the morsel, then Satan then entered into him, into Judas. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. So I, that, is, that is why, that's the reasoning behind why I think that Satan indwells the Antichrist at the midpoint. So then verses 10 and 11, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. See, Satan's name means adversary. That's what Satan means. And he accuses the brethren before God day and night. And they overcame him. This is how you overcome Satan. Because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. So now, is that Christians today? Thankfully, um, at least in our country, most Christians do not face death. These are tribulation saints here. Um, if you're going to be a Christian in the tribulation, you're going to face death. All, every one of you, <laughs> you know. Some will escape it because some will go into the millennial kingdom, but most will not escape that. So, but, you know, that does happen now. There are Christian martyrs now. There are a lot of Christian martyrs now in other countries, you know, Islamic countries, communist countries. Um, but it still, it holds true for them too. You overcome this way. Then verse 12, For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. He has three and a half years, right? At this time to pull it off. So he's been working on it all through history. In a way, he's not very smart, <laughs> you know, because he doesn't have a fear of the Lord. But 
he is persistent. We will give him that. Okay, and he, that's interesting stuff, isn't it? It's a lot to take in. So the next section is the dragon's attack of the woman. That's 13 through 17. Chapter 12, Vicky, chapter 12, verse 13. Yeah, verse 13. I'll read that piece. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to wake, make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So verse 13, the dragon now is going to persecute Israel, which he's been doing. But now he's in high gear. That's the only way for him to stop the kingdom from coming. Then verse 14, the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place. So the two wings of the great eagle, again, a figure of speech. And this uh, figure of speech is found in Exodus 19.4. And basically, it's a figure of speech talking about God's protection for Israel. Exodus 19.4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So it was a similar time when another satanically inspired tyrant, the Pharaoh, was trying to get the Jews and God protected them, then it'll be similar with the Antichrist. And then it says that they will be nourished for a time and times and half a time. And that's the supernatural nourishment, I think, is being supplied there in Petra. Verse 15 says, The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. Um, I know that Dane thinks that is literal. I think that he might be right there. He might. Um, Antichrist, here the devil, you know, using the Antichrist, will try to, you know, drown Petra. He might figure out something to do that. But it says that, the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out, which I, I am thinking is probably an earthquake, creating you know cracks, crevices, and things like that, so the water just goes in. Um, the Lord has done earthquakes before. That's how he swallowed up Korah and the rebels in the wilderness um, and things like that. So, But anyway, the Lord will not allow this to go forth. 
And then finally, so the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So I'm, I'm thinking that her, you know, probably if the Jews are in Petra, then those are Gentile believers in the tribulation that he's going to get. Although, you know, maybe not all of the Jews are in Petra, and he might be going to get the rest. We know that from Zechariah 13, 8 and 9, that in the tribulation period, two-thirds of the Jews will die. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. Uh, two-thirds of the Jews will die, and one-third will be saved. So it will be another holocaust worse than the first holocaust. Okay, so that's chapter 12. The next section is the beast emerging from the sea. Somebody want to read that? 13, 1 through 10. Thank you, Shirley. Okay, so now we see the, uh, in chapter 13, we see the introduction um, again, really, of the Antichrist, and later we'll see the false prophet introduced, and we get some more details about them. So verses 1 and 2, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns, seven heads, and on his heads were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. The beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So this is the kingdom arising from Gentile powers. The kingdom had absorbed the characteristics of Babylon, of Persia, of Greece, the seven heads represent Gentile kingdoms oppressing Israel since Egypt. Okay, and then I have written down here Daniel 7, verses 19 through 23. Daniel also saw a beast arising, which parallels this. It says, Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely that horn, which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Highest One, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth. This will be global. This is globalism. And tread it down and crush it. So it will be global tyranny. Tread it down, crush it. So the last Gentile government will be a global tyranny. And then 
verse three is interesting. So this, the verse two is talking about the kingdom itself. Now we're going to the king of the kingdom. In verse three, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Now that would be amazing, wouldn't it? He dies of a head wound, and then he's raised from the dead. The Antichrist dies from a head wound and is raised from the dead. So now people have said, oh, this can't be a real miracle or this, things like that. But the language used to describe this is the exact language used of Jesus' miracles. We're on uh, chapter 13, verse 3. Yes, ma'am. So I think that, and I've heard this explained, that you know when the Holy Spirit stops his restraint, when we are raptured, that is when the Holy Spirit stops his ministry of restraint. When the church itself is raptured, Satan is not bound anymore. Satan is powerful. Satan is the most powerful created being God ever made. And so I think that he is resurrected from the dead, the Antichrist. And of course, you know, what is that going to do to people? He's already popular. Now he rises from the dead. Exactly, exactly. And that is when, yeah, no, that is when he begins to declare that he is God because he is risen from the dead. Okay? Just like the real one. Just like the real one. So, this is why that you cannot place your faith on miracles. Okay? You cannot place your faith on miracles. Why? Because miracles are not always of God. Miracles can be done by demons. And we see that all the time in the Bible, in the in Egypt, when Moses was God was using Moses to do the plagues, the Egyptian satanic priests, they were satanically motivated, were able to replicate the miracles up to a certain point. They, you know, nobody has the power that God has, even Satan, but they can re replicate some things, and uh, and so that is why the test is not a miracle. The test is God's word. That is the test. Does it correlate with God's word? So yeah, at this point, when he rises from the dead, he will be indwelt by Satan, and he will desecrate the temple. Then verses 4 through 6, so they worshiped the dragon, Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? He can bring people back from the dead. He can come back from the dead. And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words, blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months, again, three and a half years. He opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. That's how you know he's satanic. The message... He may have performed a miracle, a very great miracle, 
But the message is 180 degrees away from what the Bible says. That means he's a false teacher. False. False. Then verse 7 says, It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Okay, who are the saints? Born again people, yeah. Followers of Jesus. They're not the church people, though. No, they're not the church because the church is in heaven. Throughout the tribulation period, they're not the church. A lot of people say, oh, it says saints there. That has to be Christians. No. There were saints before the church was born. There are going to be saints after the church is born. And uh, you know that it's not the church. Well, you know because the church is already raptured. But another way you know is because of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18 about the church. Remember, Matthew 16, 18 is the first time Jesus brought up the church. National Israel had rejected him already. And he was asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. And he said, good job. God gave you that information. And then um, he says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, this rock of faith, I will build my church. What does it say next? And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The church cannot be overpowered. If some government leader is overcoming the saints, it's not the church. Church can't be overpowered. Why? Jesus said so right here. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. And so the church is corrupted, definitely, at the end, but it is not overpowered, and we will be raptured before this happened. These are tribulation saints, which, again, you know, are many, many people, um, but they are not protected in the way that the church is. Okay, and many of them will be martyred. So you can be saved in the tribulation, but it's better to be saved now. So for the online people, the gospel is this. <laughs> uh, Jesus died for your sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again, according to the scriptures. If you believe that historical fact and put your trust in him, he will grant you eternal life. And you won't go into all these terrible things we've been talking about for the last few weeks. So that is the out. Then verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, the beast, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So that indicates God's sovereignty. Because before all of this happened, all the saved were written in a book before the creation of the world. How could God do that? I personally, and I might be in the minority in this, but I personally believe it has to do with one word, and that word is foreknowledge. Because God is in all time periods at the same time. He is outside of time. He is through time. And he gives us free will, but he knows our choice. And so you, you are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life 
until you believe in Jesus. But the Lord knows that, just like he gives us prophecy. He gives us prophecy because he knows the things that happen. Um, and that is in Romans 8, 29, and 30. It gives a list of things which God performs for you that leads you eventually to glorification. The first in that list is his foreknowledge. God has foreknowledge of you. So I don't think he messes with your will, which is what Calvinists would say, that he makes you believe. I don't, he does not make you. He persuades you to believe. Um, but you have to, it's your faith. You have to give it to him. You have to give it to Jesus as the object, you know. And um, so anyway, but this is an indication here that uh, the saved are known by God from the foundation of the world. But we don't know who, who these people are. That's why we have to tell everybody, because everyone was made savable by Jesus, every single person. But they do have to believe. Or they have a gift that is sitting outside in the garage that they can't use. You know, like you, you, your parents give you a gift at Christmas. It's all wrapped up in a bow. It's real nice. You ignore it. It goes out in the garbage. You don't benefit. <laughs> That's salvation to the unbeliever. They can have it, but they have to receive it. Okay, so uh, D, the beast coming out of the earth. So this is 11 through 18. I'll read that one. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free man and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one <clears throat> will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. It's always been there's challenging. Here, you want to pass this around? This is what's called gematria. It is a numbering system. It's ancient, where you assign a number to different letters, either Greek or Hebrew, and you come up with a number for a name or a, for a word. So verse 11 I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns, so he's less powerful. He was like a lamb, so he seemed gentle, benign, nice. But he spoke like a dragon. 
So he spoke against God's word. Satanic speech. And, you know, our, our current pope could fit this category. Because our, our current pope seems nice. He seems, but he says things that are, that are wrong, that are against the Bible. So he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound is healed. So he's like an enforcer of this new world religion. He's the enforcer. And he's the strongest cheerleader of the first beast. Verses 13 through 15 are again telling you that you cannot depend on supernatural experiences to tell you what is true. This guy will be just full of miracles, the false prophet. Called on fire from heaven. They do all sorts of uh, miracles. And he will tell people to worship the beast, the image of the beast. Verses 16 and 17 are the mark of the beast system. We are moving rapidly toward it. We are not in it yet because we don't have a beast yet. But we're, we have all the technology for it. It says, He causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell. You can't get groceries except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, this is one time in history when you will know if someone is damned or not. You can look at someone and tell if they are damned to the lake of fire. Yes, the mark. The mark will tell you. Because it says, Revelation 14, and verse 11 says, The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. If you receive the mark of his name, it is, basically, it's like the unforgivable sin. It's, it's like the unforgivable sin. You cannot go back from it. You will go to the lake of fire. You will go to the lake of fire. Okay, because it's an oath of allegiance. It's an oath of allegiance to the Antichrist. And uh, so that is why it's preferable in that time to be executed than to, than to buy groceries. I'd rather be executed than buy groceries <laughs> in that time <laughs> because it means I go to the lake of fire after death. There's nothing that is worth that. Nothing. So anyway, th this is fascinating stuff. So Lord, we thank you for the um, insight into the coming tribulation period. That's very frightening. We thank you for the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture, which will take us away from the earth before this begins. And uh, we pray for people who hear this message online and uh, for all of us and for everybody we talk to, that they would turn to Jesus before. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.